believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. But tonight, on the back end of chapter 10, we have sort of a parenthetical time period, this cycle of the people fall into sin, they worship false gods, they compromise everything, and God chastens them, allows them to be defeated by their surrounding oppressors and enemies. They cry out for deliverance, he gives them a deliverer, and they have revival, the deliverer dies, and the cycle repeats itself. That's what we've been seeing happening for the people of covenant this time. And as we come to the latter part of chapter 10, in verses 9, excuse me, in verses 6 through 10, Israel was greatly oppressed. It says that they did evil, that God sold them into the hands of the Philistines, that they were severely distressed, and they they cried out to the Lord. And unlike any other time that we've seen in the book of Judges, the Lord says something so profound and sobering to them in verse 14. He said, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. When God gives up on people, like we would never know if God gave up on somebody. We could never know that. And we'd have a reason in the New Covenant, the New Testament, to believe that God wouldn't give up on people. But there are still some very powerful warnings in the New Testament where if people are determined to go a certain way and rebel against the Lord, and there are warnings, like in the book of Hebrews and other places, where this principle where God says, go and cry out and see what they've done, see if they deliver you. And there are times where people, and we're talking about the people of covenant here. This is not for the world. This is for people of covenant, in this context, Israel, in our context tonight, followers of Jesus Christ. People confess Jesus as Lord. Where you, you just try and have it both ways, or you just turn your back on the Lord, just going to do what you want to do. 34 years, how many times I've heard people say that God wants me happy, and they think happiness in their mind is sin, and they just formulate a theology to live in sin, and they think they're good, and they settle for a cheap, a cheap grace, which, of course, the New Testament warns about more than once, for sure. So it's in this background for Israel and their covenant that God says, hey, go cry out to them, see if they'll deliver you. You want to you wanna live this way? You want to live in that kind of sin? Let, let's see where, where it takes you there. And we know the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but the end thereby is death. And we know that people make choices that look good, but we know from the biblical perspective, we would know they didn't look good. It never, it's never a good ending when you start without the Lord or going against the Lord. But it may seem favorable at first, but in the end, it's, it's going to always be bondage and misery. And so that was the background to our main text tonight, verse 15 and 16, verses 15 and 16. And it, where God just said, you're on your own. And it's at this point in verse 15 that the children of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. 
and his soul, that is God's, could no longer endure the misery of Israel. These couple of verses are very powerful and insightful to us. And again, the, the preceding verse where God says, you just, you know, you chose that. You know, in the world we say, you made your bed, sleep in it. We say stuff like that. Like that's, you cast your lot, now you live with it. Those sorts of things. And that's what God said to them. And they refuse to uh, accept that. And they cry out, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So this phrase, do to us whatever seems best to you, what a phrase. Think about that. Do to us whatever seems best to you. This is the ultimate phrase whereby which an individual or a family or a people or a community might say, God, we are totally in your hands. Do to us what seems best to you. There is your God, your good, there is, this is beyond, we can't do anything to change this. We cast our lot completely holy with you. And you said you've given up on us. And we're going to tell you, we've sinned. We're going to put away our sin. We are totally at your mercy. We are, we are totally lost without you. Do to us whatever seems best to you. This is the end of ourselves. Because we usually have a plan. People normally have some kind of a plan, like plan B, C, D, or E, or whatever. And even with the Lord, we're like, well, if, if God doesn't come through that way, we can still do this and fall back on that. But they're at a place where if God doesn't, and this isn't deliverance in the way, like sometimes we've seen deliverance in the Old Testament already. This is like, this is their sin put them in this place. This is like the full consequence of rebellion against God upon them nationally affecting all of them. When we talk about that verse, it says, if my people who are called by my name will cry out to me, I will hear their prayer and repent from their sins. I will hear their prayer and heal their land. It's a very popular verse. It was a big part of the whole prayer walk last year around this time for our nation when people prayed for our nation as we did. But that verse contextually is for Israel in the Old Testament. Now, the principle can apply to believers in the New Testament, but in its fullest sense, as a nation, the only nation that ever had a covenant with God is the nation of Israel. And so, contextually, we realize that collectively as a people, they weren't just a spiritual entity like the church worldwide tonight, but they were a literal physical entity in a place and location. They had a national flag, even as Israel does today with the Star of David, but they were a people of covenant. So it's very different than the church it's a shadow of things to come, but that's their context. And that verse would apply to them. And as we see through the Old Testament with the kings later on in 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings Chronicles, we see that with a series of kings over about a three, 400 year period, when the, a king would be a spiritual leader and would lead the people, very different than the judges, would lead the people to be restored with God, God would do great things through them, like Jehoshaphat. Or and actually, Sam was teaching the men the other night on this. So you guys that were there, you, you remember this. But like Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Josiah, they did, they did great things, and they stirred the people. They weren't just wise economically like Solomon was, because he didn't elevate the people spiritually. They Josiah sent out messengers like, "Hey, let's keep the Passover. Let's all come together." And people mocked his messengers, but some still came and kept the Passover. Hezekiah had the same type of thing. So for them, at various times in their history. When they were so broken, 
they were broken from their sins, the consequences of their sin on a national level, they would cry out and God would heal their land. But they had to be at the end of themselves. And that principle would apply to believers, followers of Jesus Christ, on this day, November 20th, 2021. That would be our application. That when we come to the end of ourselves and we've reaped the consequences of bad decisions, decisions without acknowledging the Lord, choosing the way that seems right, but then there by his death. And again, the context is sin, rebellion against God, absolute, not gray area stuff, not personal choices that maybe weren't good. We're talking about willful sin against the Lord. Choosing to lie, choosing to steal, choosing to have fraud, choosing to embezzle, choosing to commit adultery, choosing to be unfaithful, choosing to take life and justify it. Those kind of sins. That's what we're talking about here. Because there's lots of people who go to church this day around the planet, tomorrow the 21st, who have chosen to lie, have chosen to steal, have been ruthless with family estates and trusts and lawsuits. They've been vicious while going to church and serving in leadership or just attending church. They've killed the innocent. They've slandered the righteous. And they're guilty. And they call themselves Christians. We don't want that to be us. I don't think it naturally stands out to any of us. That's how we choose to live our life. But what can happen for believers is you can be in a good place, and then you make a decision, a bad decision, that you know God's not. it goes against his word. And then you begin to have to make, you, if you don't repent of that, you compound it with more bad decisions. And if you truly belong to the Lord, you'll come to a place where it all implode, you might lose everything. When I did the drug and alcohol ministry in Calvary Vista back in 1988 and 89, 90, we dealt with people who were miserable because they had lost everything because of drugs and alcohol. Vista was, had a lot of crystal meth back in the 80s, speed, crystal methamphetamine. And these guys and girls would come in who had just so destroyed their lives broken their parents' heart, broken their spouse's heart, neglected their children, done great evil by being in bondage to these drugs and alcoholism as well. And some would be at the end of themselves, but some would be like Esau. Because if you know Esau in the Old Testament, the New Testament looks back on Esau. He was the brother of Jacob, the son of uh, uh, Isaac. We're told that Esau sought repentance with tears but did not find it. Because his tears weren't the tears of being at the end of himself. He was not one who'd say, do to us whatever seems best to you. His tears were simply like, I'm miserable, I don't like jail, and I want to get out of jail, so please get me off the hook and show mercy to me. More than once I've been asked to come write a letter on behalf of someone going to jail as their pastor. More than once I've shown up at court to lobby on behalf of someone as a character witness who's about to be sentenced. It's kind of awkward, you know, as a pastor, but you just don't know. I mean, you hope for the best, but, you know, people can put on a show for one or two years to impress pastoral leadership to get their spouse back, to not go to jail for five years, but just to be on parole. People do a lot of different things when they're desperate, and they love to leverage spiritual leadership to be on their side to get a favorable response with a spouse or with family, with friends, or anything like that. 
But God knows. God knows when you and I meet you. He knows when we're broken and we sincerely mean do to us whatever seems best to you. This isn't losing your job. This isn't being having things forced on you. This is the result of sin. We need to keep that in mind in the context. And we just realize, like, man. And we're not playing a religious game to get a favorable environment back to be continually dysfunctional in ongoing sin. But we are truly broken by what has happened. And we are sincere. Our heart is sincere before the Lord to to be at his mercy in whatever he says. Now, David, in the Old Testament, King David, a couple hundred years after this, is an excellent example of how this works because he was the man with a heart after God. And he experienced this situation more than once. In his old age, he took a census to count the people. Kings like to count people because it's strength in numbers and it's strength in taxes and tribute and stuff like that. And even Joab, who is quite the character himself, his chief general, said, it's a bad idea. The guy who was never spiritual said, Dave, it's a really bad idea to take a census. You're not that kind of king. That's not the kind of king you are. That's not Israel's king. And David did it, and then, you know, the the Lord allowed him to do it. And then we're told in one account, because it's in two accounts in the Old Testament, that David's heart condemned him. And he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, I've sinned. Like they said, we've sinned. He said, I've sinned. And God says, yes, you have. And now you can choose for yourself three things. Three years of famine, three months routed by your enemies, or three days with the plague from the Lord. And he said something very interesting there. He said, you know, I'll choose three days with the Lord's plague, but please don't deliver me into the hands of men. There's a lot of wisdom right there, wouldn't you? I'll take three days with the mercy of God, whatever that beatdown looks like, over men who are ruthless. If you haven't figured anything out in the last two years, I'm sure you've figured out men and women are ruthless with power, sociopaths, narcissistic people, psychopaths. Humanity is dreadfully evil. And those that are empowered most with humanity often in the greatest amount of evil on the rest of humanity. And David said, God, let me not fall in the hands of men, but on the mercies of God. See, that's, that's the end of himself. Do what's best as you see fit. David knew the heart of God. And he knew the safest place on your worst day of sin when you feel most naked before the throne of God in time, space, and matter was to cast ourselves wholly on God's mercy and say, do whatever seems best to you. And that's a great prayer for broken women and broken men who are broken because of our sins and our failures. Us older people understand very well what that feels like. The younger people, maybe, but you will in due time. You know, when I first went into ministry, when Brian Broderson approached me, beginning of October of 1987, to consider being an interim pastor at Calvary Chapel Vista. I said, absolutely not. 
because I have failed in relationships. I have failed as an employee. I have have failed as a son. I have failed in so many ways, but I do not want to add to my resume a failures ministry. That's the same month, for those who remember, that Jimmy Swigert fell from grace, October 1987. So there in the, the mocking of Jimmy Swigert on national TV before the internet, Dan Rather, Tom Brokaw, they all mocked and ridiculed Jimmy Swigert every night. And Jim Baker went down about the same time. And I would see the news, and the devil's like, that's going to be you. You're going to be a big failure, and people are going to laugh at you and laugh at God because of you. So when Broderson came and said, hey, I thought, no, absolutely not. And then I went to that surf contest in San Francisco, and I almost drowned on Halloween Day in 1987 in 20-foot surf at Ocean Beach. Spoke at a small church that night. That was a testimony in the movie Sunriders, a very famous testimony. And uh, I drove home the next day. Some of you know the story, but I drove home from Santa Cruz the next day, November 1st, and Greg Laurie had a cassette tape series. Remember cassette tape series, people? And it was uh, used by God. It was a six-tape cassette series by Greg Laurie, used by God. This is 1987. This is right when the Harvest book came out. Not his book, but Pastor Chuck's Harvest book with Steve Mays and everybody and what they did. And I listened to Greg. I had Greg Laurie in the car for six hours. And one of those studies was forgiven and used. It was a very important study that, like, how we fail in ministry, but God restores us in ministry if we're broken by our failure. So I got back and I told Brian Broderson, um, I'm going to do it. But before I told him I would do it, the, the, the thought that God really imposed upon my heart and mind is this. You will fail. You're going to fail from start to finish. My grace is sufficient for you. Failure is inevitable, but growth is optional. And that's what you need to remember that from your failures to bring forth growth. So in 34 years of ministry, what I've always tried to do with my failures, and they are many, public and private, is I try and grow and learn from those failures. That's what David did. These people said, we've sinned. When David sinned with Bathsheba and committed adultery against his, one of his best friend's wives, in Psalm 30, 51, when he was, the psalm about that, he said, against you, O Lord, and you only have I sinned. Now, his sin affected Bathsheba. It affected Uriah. It affected the whole nation of Israel. But he knew that sin ultimately, which is rebellion against God, against his holiness, and most of us in this room know what sin means, so I don't have to go detailed into it. But he said, against you I've sinned. But it's interesting, though, before that happened is when Nathan the prophet came to him. And David thought he got, you know, David had a really, he had a good plan. He got the girl. Uriah was killed. And no one knew. It seemed like he, he, you know, like the perfect crime. Like he had really pulled off this, this perfect crime. It seemed that way. In another psalm, he would say, looking back on that, that his bones rotted within, within him. So we never get away with anything. And sometimes the real prison someone's in is not a jail cell, but their conscience convicting them and condemning them for the evil they've done to someone else. And David was rotting within. So as he's this king in and, and the, the zenith of his kingdom, and he's the empathetic king who's going to marry his buddy's wife, 
you know, the, the bride of this, this man who was killed in combat serving the kingdom, and David's the hero, is marrying her. Nathan comes in and says, you know, the whole parable about the sheep, and he says, you know, this one man had all these sheep, and he could have had all the sheep he ever wanted, but a, a visitor came, and he took, his neighbor had one sheep, and he took his neighbor's sheep and, and slaughtered that sheep to give to his, to his visitor, and uh, David, just, this parable, this, oh, David was furious. He's like, who is the man who's done this? I'll kill him. And Nathan the prophet said, you're the man. Because I raised you up from taking care of the sheep. And I gave you everything you ever wanted. And I would have given you more if you'd asked for it. But you took another man's wife. And you killed him. And now you brought sin upon all Israel. And God said, the, the baby's not going to survive. You'll have strife within your offspring, your, your children as they grow up, there'll be strife. And you know what David said? I've sinned. Let it be as spoken. It's like this. We're in your hands. It, he's, he's all, you know the Bible tells us all things are bare and naked and open before him through who must give an account. And I, I don't bring up nakedness very often, but nakedness is something embarrassing for most people. When people aren't embarrassed to be naked, there's usually something in their conscience that seared them in a sense of a public display of nakedness. And I believe it goes back to the garden and sin. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they felt naked. They didn't even know they were naked. They were naked. They're perfect man, perfect woman with no degeneration on their, on their molecular structure. They were the perfect man and woman, and they were naked without shame. But when sin came, there was a sense of shame for their nakedness, and they tried to cover their nakedness. And I really believe that, that, that natural humility we all have to cover our nakedness is very natural to our sinful nature. But it wasn't there in the beginning. So someone like Job would say, naked I came from the womb, naked I'll go. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God would say, from the dust you came, the dust will return. When the spirit leaves a body, it's amazing how fast death enters into that body. And many of you know that from experiences. The moment my mom passed almost two years ago, and her spirit left the room. The body goes cold, and the, the flower of her youth, where she was so beautiful in, in the, the 40s in high school, she was the, as my dad would say, she was the belle of the ball. At 85, she's gone. The ultimate price of sin is our dead body. From the dust we can, the dust will return. I go the way of all men. So it Bible says. David said it. Joseph said it in the Old Testament. So the wage of sin is death. And sin brings a sense of shame and a sense of nakedness. It does. So when David confessed in Psalm 51, that he sinned against God. When he confessed, when confronted by Nathan, that he had sinned, he said, I have sinned. And it was a legitimate confession. So when we cast ourselves wholly upon the Lord in our dark moment, God knows our heart. And if we're truly humbled and humiliated by that, it's actually something he receives. Because David said in Psalm 51, a broken and contrite spirit is what is pleasing to the Lord. He said, I would have offered bulls and animals and sacrifices, but that's not what you're interested in. 
You're, you're not interested from the man who's, who committed adultery against his buddy's wife, who had his buddy murdered. You're not interested in bulls and goats. You're interested in a broken and a contrite spirit. And take not thy spirit from me. So, the people here, like, do whatever seems best to you. They are absolutely broken. And they said, we have sinned. And their confession is valid. It's a true confession. And I was saying this, but I'll say it again. Many of you know with your adult children or your kids when they're younger or your spouses, if they've come and gone and left, whatever, we've all heard people say they've sinned and they're sorry, but not change and not really show that they're sorry. True confession with God is not just acknowledging the wrong in the action and the act that got you here, or even acknowledge that you're miserable and what it brought upon your life. True confession really is an agreement to put action to that confession. Because again, the Bible has many people who say, I've sinned, but they don't find forgiveness. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.